I'm joined by Seichiro Takagi from the Japan Institute of International Affairs. Um, welcome back, Takagi-sensei. It's a pleasure always to see you and to talk about China uh, and regional security. And at a particular time like now, it's great to have your insights. Welcome back to the Lowy Institute. Well, thank you very much. I always enjoy coming to Australia and I really appreciate uh, this opportunity. You're known as one of Japan's foremost sinologists, so why don't we get straight to the Middle Kingdom and developments there? Mm. This is a, a major political year for uh, President Xi. The mm. 19th Party Congress awaits in the fall if the schedule is uh, as anticipated. Mm. And a lot of people are looking at that and making their own guesses about how that will play out in terms of President Xi's own leadership. Will mm. he cement it? Mm. And what will the external implications of that be? So mm. talk us through how relevant is it? And do you see China uh, being more cautious into the bargain externally this year? Uh, or is there a chance of a major foreign policy initiative or indeed adventurism on mm. the cards? Mm. Well, of course, uh, that's a very important question, and I don't claim to have any crystal ball. But as you know, there are a lot of rumors floating around. One of the key issues at the 19th Party Congress and the following first plenum is the uh, recomposition of the central leadership, especially the standing committee of Politburo. And uh, if existing informal rule uh, is to be followed, five out of current seven members of the Politburo will be replaced. Who are going to be, uh, take those positions? Or whether or not this size uh, is maintained? Some people even say that uh, Xi's preference is to totally abolish the standing committee. I don't know if that's <laughs> possible, but a rumor is uh, there. There are a lot of uncertainties uh, surrounding the developments uh, leading up to the next party congress. And in this kind of situation, my sense is that China does not seek a serious conflict externally. But that does not necessarily mean that China would uh, take more accommodative approach. Because uh, obviously, uh, there is a serious uh, power struggle among the top echelon leadership. And uh, in this kind of environment, to be seen as too accommodative or too weak externally, is not play well for you. So I think they would guard against a very bold uh, accommodative uh, steps. But that, at the same time, as I said earlier, they would not want to have their boat rocked too much. So they would uh, be very cautious. What about President Xi's relationship with the military? He came into power in a very strong position compared to his predecessors in terms of mm. being the already um, the chairman of the Central Military Commission. But does that imply um, that his relationship means he has no worries? Or are there other factors? Recently, there have been another round of protests by demobilized soldiers in Beijing, mm -hmm. which uh, is a particular sensitivity for President Xi in this current year. So mm. where do you see those fault lines? As uh, it is well known, Xi managed to, managed to uh, implement or start a major reform of the military at the end of uh, 2015. And uh, this uh, reform, uh, which uh, led to the abolishment of four major general departments in the military and uh, creation of separate command or ground forces, and 
you know, very important changes are taking place in the Chinese military. And as you know, uh, he managed uh, to oust two major former leaders of the military uh, through the anti-corruption campaign. So uh, she is uh, pursuing uh, his goal of transforming the military. But I'm afraid that all this uh, strong-hand approach is uh, causing a lot of reactions and resistance among some uh, leaders, especially the reorganization of uh, levels just below the top is not going to be too easy, cannot go too smoothly. And I can't uh, draw a direct linkage uh, with the good uh, substantial evidence, but uh, recent uh, soldiers of uh, demobilized soldiers must be related to this uncertainty about military reform. One potential factor of external instability is the uncertainty now emanating out of Washington under the mm. President Trump's administration. What's your assessment so far of how China has uh, reacted to uh, the Trump administration and its early moves on Taiwan, questioning one China, and now apparently moving back perhaps to a more conventional foreign policy? Well, just uh, this morning, uh, I got the news that uh, Mr. Yan Jiechi is visiting Washington, D.C. at the first high-level visit after the inauguration of uh, Trump administration. So I think uh, they are in the process of normalizing the ties, but some top echelon membership in Trump administration are extremely, extremely critical of China, especially in uh, trade uh, and the currency yeah, issues, but uh, uh, their criticism does extend to the South China Sea problem. So we have to uh, see how this ongoing uh, Yan's visit uh, would go, but I think what we can expect is a rocky road uh, for both sides. I'd like to bring Japan into the conversation now. Prime Minister Abe has uh, made his trip to Washington. Secretary of Defense Mattis visited Tokyo, and those, both of those visits from the outside seem to go very well, mm -hmm. um, which goes rather against the prediction that there was going to be more friction between Japan and Washington. But of course, there's a trilateral element to that, how that plays out with Japan's relationship with China too. Mm. Where do you um, take the temperature currently between Japan-China relations and how do you see that moving forward in 2017? Since the uh, very undiplomatic uh, summit in November 2014, uh, there are signs of uh, improvement of the relationship or success in arresting and downward spiral. But it does not mean that the uh, relationship has uh, fully recovered. Yes, uh, they have been series of uh, summit meetings on the sideline of major international summits. And uh, uh, there are exchanges of economic leaders uh, between the two countries. Chinese tourists are coming back to Japan, but uh, they're having very frictious uh, developments between the, the two countries. Also, alongside with these uh, positive developments, uh, such as uh, uh, Chinese military vessels passing through the territorial water uh, in Kyushu and uh, flocking Chinese fishing boats around uh, Senkaku uh, in August, uh, supported by uh, intrusion by the government vessels in Senkaku contiguous uh, uh, waters and sometimes uh, territorial waters. 
So uh, the signs are mixed, and uh, we are not in total conflict, but we are not fully recovered state of affairs either. And in this context, it is very reassuring that the uh, United States uh, reaffirmed the alliance relationship, and especially when Prime Minister Abe visited Washington, no, no, uh, <laughs> Uh, President Trump's uh, villa, the joint statement included the reference uh, to Senkaku as being under the coverage of Article 5 of uh, security treaty between the two countries. So it is quite reassuring. But I must also say that the direction of uh, current American administration still retains a lot of uncertainty. I don't think uh, we can be overjoyed by the accomplishments by the Abe-Trump summit and uh, we can overplay this hand. And I think uh, the Japanese approach continues to be cautious vis-a-vis -vis China. It seems that uh, under Prime Minister Abe, Japan has been taking quite an energetic leadership role on various fronts, in including in the trade space. Mm. Uh, do you think that the uncertainty around the uh, future of US foreign policy in some ways presents an opportunity to Japan? Well, it will erase uh, the responsibility for countries like Japan, uh, which uh, considers free and uh, liberal international order so critical to its national presence and uh, survival. And so I think uh, Japan is preparing itself to uh, play that role. But uh, this is not the situation in which Japan can be uh, overjoyed or complacent and uh, uh, relaxed. I think uh, heightened responsibility requires heightened effort and better uh, backup uh, systems in all sectors of the society, including think tanks like Ajaya. Since you're in Australia, finally, mm -hmm. I'd like to take you to the, Australia's part in regional security and particularly the relationship mm -hmm. with Japan. Prime Minister Abe was in Sydney not so long ago where he met Prime Minister Turnbull and there was a, uh, a summit and set of outcomes. Mm -hmm. I wonder what your take is on the current state of the relationship, which last year had an obvious hiccup in the form of the <laughs> submarine decision. Mm -hmm. uh, is that water under the bridge now as far as Japan is concerned? Well, of course, uh, last year's event was very disappointing to the Japanese side. But I don't think uh, Japan is uh, dwelling on that. Uh, that was a very good uh, learning ex experience. That was a very precious experience for a country which hadn't done anything like trying to get, get a contract for major weapons construction. So this experience will be examined and learned for later decisions and later international negotiations. Prime Minister Abe's visit to this country and uh, meeting with uh, Prime Minister Turnbull went very well. And uh, I think both countries sort of reaffirmed their position as the important anchor of stability in the region, especially given the situation in the United States. And I think we should enhance uh, our cooperation forward and uh, try to make sure that the United States doesn't stray in the wrong direction too far. Seichiro Takagi, Senior Research Advisor with the Japan Institute for International Affairs. It's been a pleasure hosting you today, and I look forward to welcoming you back to Australia on your next visit. Well, thank you very much.